0: hey team welcome to the professionally offensive podcast i'm your host joseph cabrera this is the spot where we provide raw unfiltered insights for some amazing guests stand by you're about to be offended in all the right ways all right team welcome back to the podcast and today you got a really great treat here for you i am sitting with dr fab mancini all the way in Dallas, Texas right now. But this man's a globetrotter and has kind of been all the way around. So Fab, super stoked to have you on the show today. Thank you for making time.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm a big fan and uh, I'm just looking forward to see what's gonna come out.
0: Well, I, I think there's gonna be a lot of things that are unique and interesting. You know, on this pod, we talk a lot of things, everything from leadership to business and people. Uh, but I think your perspectives have been really interesting. So let me give just give the listeners a little background on you. Please fill in any gaps I may have missed. but for those who don't know, you know fab is what you go by, but Dr. Mancini, there's been a lot of you know, um, a lot of things you've done in your life. And so I know you started off as you know, in the healthcare profession and you've considered yourself and are by a lot of the folks either here domestically and internationally as just an expert in everything, lifestyle and wellness and preventative health. But you've also been an international educator and have helped folks really from CEOs to even folks just trying to get their businesses off the ground to think differently about how they operate. For those of you who may or may not be familiar with the doc here, um, in addition to being in the medical field, also took a big chunk of time in his career to run Parker University, which is an amazing story, and I'm hoping that we get to dive into that. But how you go from being somebody who treats folks to now running an entire education system without coming from academia, which is impressive. So I know you've been everything from humanitarian to CEO of the year, and now more than ever have been. You know, where y'all probably recognize Doc's face is probably sitting on, you know, somewhere in the media, one of the major, you know, uh, news agencies or whatnot, talking about health and talking about how to make people's lives better. You've probably seen him on Dr. Phil. So that's the once over the world. I'm sure I missed a couple other things in there. Is there anything else worth mentioning?
1: I'm just a human being doing the
0: best (laughs) I can every day, man.
1: That's all it is.
0: I love it. Well, I tell you what, I think as the human being starts in this world... What I find fascinating about your story is, you know, you are the quintessential amazing immigrant story. You come over to America and you really just make your way. Can you talk about the early days of growing up in Columbia and having just kind of that whole entire foundation built for where you ultimately end up today?
1: You know, thank you for sharing that, because I'm sure that there's a lot of people in the audience, whether you're an immigrant because of a nation or you're an immigrant because you're moving from state to state. Or you're an immigrant because you're actually going from one industry to another one that's how i define an immigrant it's just somebody that goes from one environment into a totally new environment and tries to uh, live life as they knew it so for us the story started when uh, i was 13 years old uh, and my parents uh, decided that they wanted to move to miami florida from colombia south america and at that time, you know, we're five boys. I'm number four out of five. And uh, and I was really having a hard time uh, because, you know, in that time, as you know, your friends are everything. And I had a lot of friends. I also play sports. Uh, so that was my world. And But then we had gone to Disney World a few times before. And I kept saying to myself, well, it's like living in Disney World every day you know so i talked myself into it and it was kind of interesting so we get to miami and unfortunately it wasn't what i had thought you know my 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 reality was that yes we were in a new environment and yes my parents were right it was going to give us opportunities that we didn't have in south america and yes it was a better environment for my dad that was struggling with alcoholism and maybe a chance for him to get sober so all of those things came true what i didn't expect is that with blessings also come challenges. And my challenge was that I go to school my first week, my first week in the United States, I go to school and my teacher says to me, oh, you're not going into seventh grade like you're supposed to. We're gonna put you in fifth grade because we don't have English as a second language and we don't have any teachers that speak Spanish. So I'm like, okay, now I lost two years of my education. What else can happen? Then I go into a school that unfortunately, even though we're in Miami, this was an Anglo school. Out of my whole class, there was only one girl that spoke Spanish. So then my teacher introduced me to her and then I was begging her and said, how can you help me? And she's like, well, what about if I spend two hours after school with you until you learn more English and I can teach you a little bit about what the class went on? So I had to sit in class, not understanding anything, and trying to figure it out, and yes, you know, uh, we were trying to learn English as quickly as possible, but it's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. And uh, but you know, a lot of wonderful things came from that. And because I learned that being smart is not about being born special, but being smart is about the discipline of being a good listener to your teachers and having the discipline to go over the material and try to figure out, how to act on the material that you're learning. So because I had to do it the hard way, I became a very good student. And by the time I graduated, I fast forward the clock, I graduated from high school, I'm number seven in my class. I graduated there with 100.4 uh, average. And I had one and a half years of college under my belt. I made up all that time so the 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 lesson here is this coming into the united states or feeling like an immigrant if you're a a nation immigrant or an immigrant that is moving from state to state or from industry to industry what i learned is this when you shift environments you're not starting fresh you actually learn that you are bringing your past environment lessons experiences skill sets education into a new environment, and therefore, your goal should be not how do I start this new thing, but how do I leverage what I learned in my old gig into my new gig, and that's the key. When I capture that, then I realize that being an immigrant was the biggest blessing because we should all be immigrants because that's how we grow, We change environments, we get uncomfortable and that uncomfortable gets us excited and hungry and makes us realize, you know what? I'm gonna do this no matter what. And it makes you also believe in whatever new environment that you've selected. So it validates your choice. And that is the lesson that I, I really can tell you that set the foundation for my future success, that one decision my parents made to move us. And yes, my dad got sober, And yes, you know, uh, we were able to all become great things in my family because of the opportunities. And yes, you know, my parents, you know, were very healthy and happy living here. And so were we. So a lot of wonderful things came, but it wasn't uh, as easy as sometimes we think it's going to be.
0: I mean, it's impressive to think being that young, too, that you can have that discipline? Do you find, that you have folks around you at the time? I got to imagine in the early days at that first week, pretty tough to maybe stay in the game, or do you find like you've always been kind of tough-minded and just said, well, I'm going to stick this out. I got no choice. How did that, how did you as a young age kind of force yourself to stay in the fight?
1: Well, you know, uh, I think you have two mindsets out there in the world. One mindset is one that tells you that the circumstances out there define the person you are. And another mindset that says the circumstances out there are not there to define me. They're only there to challenge me, to prove to me that I have the ability to to choose, right? As human beings, we get the right to choose. My response to that circumstance is what defines me. So I realized that, yes, I was in an environment that was completely new, new culture, new language, new everything. But... I had the choice, the power of choice. So I started making choices. And no, I didn't get a lot of people that were wanting to help me. I had to seek out Maria out of all the people and say, would you help me? And she had compassion on me. And to this day, I still tell her, I am grateful to you because you took me under your wing. Can you imagine another 13-year-old having the maturity to say, you know what? I'll help you study. I'll, I'll stick with you. And I know that you're going to be great. And as you learn English, you're not going to need me, but let me help you those first few months. And that's what she did. Uh, And then I had a teacher that was also very encouraging, Mrs. Hill. Uh, And she kept saying, I'm so sorry, we had to move you down. She felt guilty for that. So she was actually pushing me to continue that journey and push myself every single day a little bit more
0: oh my goodness man i mean what a impressive like those are impressive stories to those human beings you think about how just a simple act of kindness can really transform if they knew they were creating or helping be a part of creating who dr fab mancini was going to ultimately be i mean it just no no they're just good people right and i think that sometimes we underestimate the 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 magnitude of a simple act of kindness yeah. right and being able to help folks So fast forward, I think a little bit, this was not the first time you've had something in your life that kind of really, you kind of had to stand square with. You mentioned about this mantra that you've developed over your time called, you know, I live this life of urgency. Can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because many of my friends like uh, Wayne Dyer and Eckhart Tolle, they've talked about the importance of living in the moment. Uh, but I didn't learn that until much later in my life, right? I didn't get to meet him until much later in my life. So fast forward the clock, we're in the United States three years, you know, I'm doing really good in school. I'm playing sports again, which is wonderful. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm adapting to my environment. We're thriving. My parents said to us, what do you boys want for Christmas this year? This is three years later. And now I'm 16. So... My brother Aldo, which is two years older than me, we said, we want to go back to Colombia. We want to see our family and friends. So my other brothers didn't want that. So my parents for Christmas gave us two tickets to go down to Colombia for a week and visit our friends between Christmas and New Year's before we had to start school. And uh, so we get down there and my mom says, are you going to stay with your Aunt Nora because they just built a brand new house? And I'm like, okay, great. So we're pulling in. And we see all these cars parked outside and we're like, what's going on? And my aunt says to us, well, we have a surprise for you. We contact your friends from school before you left and your cousins and aunts and uncles, everybody's here to celebrate you guys and welcome home. And they had a big party. We ate, there was music, we danced. And I remember that night saying to myself, man, this is one of the most beautiful nights of my life. So then my uncle had to go out of town My aunt, Nora, had two children that were young. And then my brother Aldo was sleeping in the room next door and I was sleeping in a a guest bedroom too. So in the middle of the night, we think it's around 2, 2 2.30, we notice a commotion and people come into the house and I wake up with the back of a gun hitting my head saying, where's the safe? So I startled and I try to yell, so they covered my mouth. They took my socks off and put them in my mouth. Crazy. Then I try to get up and run and they tie my hands and then tie my feet. And they keep hitting me and I kept saying and crying, I don't know. They kept taking the socks off. So then they went to the room next door and they they I heard my brother Aldo yell and they came back with blood in their hands and they said, We killed your brother. You better tell us where the safety is or we're gonna kill everybody in this house. I didn't know what to do. Honestly, that's a point in your life where you say, This is it. They killed my brother, this is it. And uh, by some miracle, the neighbor heard the commotion and then the police came, so they fled. Uh, They took us to the hospital. My brother Aldo was alive, but he had like 20 stitches in his head, 27 stitches in his head. I was bruised, but I was okay. But this is what I told myself that night. I said, how can it be that at 16 years old, my life could have been over? One incident that could have changed everything in my future, all of my dreams, all of my hopes, all in one incident. And at that moment, I made a promise to myself not to take a day for granted, to live my life like if there's only 24 hours. And since that day, I decided to go to sleep every night, not expecting tomorrow to come, just to be grateful for the day. And if tomorrow came, I was gonna wake up grateful and I was gonna say, okay, what can I do today? And that created a, a phenomenon called a sense of urgency, a phenomenon that makes us realize that opportunities don't exist in the past or the future, which is where most people live. Always talking about the great thing, how great things were in the past, always talking about how great things will be in the future, never really talking about the moment right now. And this is the only thing we have control of. This next few seconds, that's all we can control. So I drove myself to fine tune and say, how can I make every moment better? So if I'm talking to you, how can I make this moment completely present with you? Not thinking about the next call, not thinking about what I got to do tonight, not about my trip tomorrow morning, not about any of those things. It's this moment. That's all we have. And then making sure that we do that in my school at that time with my homework with my sports become a better athlete every moment become a better student every moment become a better son become a better friend become a better boyfriend whatever the case may be and i've i've learned to do that day by day every day to the to the point that it became second nature but it was that that set the foundation for me to recognize that the reason that most people don't succeed is because they are missing the opportunity in the moment to live in the present. They're always thinking about, you know, procrastinating to, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll call them tomorrow. But what if there is no doubt tomorrow? How would you wake up? Would you wake up early or late? Right? <laughs> you only got one day. Would you go to work or would you call in and say, you know what? It's my last day. I'm not going in. That means you shouldn't be working there in the first place. (laughs) That's exactly right. Find another place to work, you know, or how would you wake up with your loved ones? Would you make love to them in the morning, right? Because it may be the last day, not wait until the night and see if we're in the mood. But that day, that morning, because that may be the only moment we have. Or would you just get out of bed? Don't even acknowledge them. Don't even cook breakfast for them. Don't even, you know, nurture them and tell them how much they mean to you. And if you have children, would you just yell at them like you always do about running late for school, getting their clothes on, driving them to school without even really connecting with them, right? That's the key, connecting with them at the moment. And then I realized that most of us also live in resentments. Who are you going to forgive? You know, are you finally going to let go of those things that are keeping you angry as somebody that you don't even remember why you argue in the first place? Are you going to tell somebody how much their influence made a difference in your life? Maybe somebody that you haven't thanked, somebody that did something for you at a time that was critical, pivotal in your time that you still have not been grateful for. And that's what I began to do for myself. And I began to remind people to do for themselves. And that was probably the greatest change that set the foundation for me to do one thing, Fulfill my potential because that's the only thing that life is here for is to fulfill that potential that you have inherited in you to be better today than you were yesterday, to be better tomorrow than the way you're going to be today, and always continue that journey. And that's what I found where happiness lies. Freud said that happiness is not a, a state of mind, it's the pursuit of something you find the happiness in the pursuit. It's not in arrival. Yeah, you got that job. Well, that could make you happy, but how can you sustain the happiness? Oh, you got that car. Yeah, that's going to last 24, 48 hours, but that's going to wear off very quickly. You got that beautiful purse that you've been waiting to, and you put in layaway, you know, but then you wear it and it's like, it's just a purse. Yes. So anyways, that's really where I I I learned to live, and that what I encourage everybody hopefully to discover for themselves.
0: I mean, what a impressive growth mindset to be able to have at a young age, to be able to harness that. I'm sure it was traumatic, and sure there's some processing, but to be able to harness that as a way to create good for your life, and then more importantly, add value to others. Is there something simple, Fab, that you that you encourage people who I mean, because everybody I think can be guilty of just not being grateful for the moment. Is there something simple you recommend to folks to just, hey, try doing this. I know it may seem hard and your life's difficult and you're down and out. Can you start doing whatever and maybe that'll start driving you the right direction? I mean, is there anything you recommend?
1: Yes, I do. So one of the exercises is to look back into your life and look at what I call your defining moments. What were the moments in your life that actually served you to become that you are today in a positive way? So, when I did that exercise, I realized that my defining moments, 80% of them were difficulties, you know, hardship, you know, the loss of a loved one, a sickness, uh, a change, a drastic change, a change of careers, all of that served me. So, the first thing that we need to do is that when we are facing a challenge, is to see it as a blessing in disguise and not a punishment. The reason that we become victimized. By our challenges is because we see it as a punishment, or we don't think we're capable of solving it, Mm. going through it. But I always believe that God doesn't give you things you can handle. We all have the capabilities of moving forward from wherever we are today. You've heard stories after stories, especially in this amazing nation of America. People coming here broke, $10 in their pocket, and now they're multimillionaires. People coming here sick getting well and all of a sudden finding happiness people here coming here with no one that they knew all by themselves and then becoming an influencer their stories after stories so the key is this is to say to yourself and ask yourself the question how is this experience serving me to become a better version of myself to be increase my potential to become a better person That's what I do. Every time I'm faced with something, I know that the universe is giving it to me as an opportunity for growth. It's up to me to discover what that growth is instead of becoming victimized. Because now I feel I have no control. I have no choice. I have no power and I have to learn to live with it. Mm -hmm.
0: Now it's, it's something that I know is hard in, in practice for folks to do. But to your point, if you can just try focusing on that one thing, yeah. the one thing that I talk to a lot of entrepreneurs and folks kind of going through that, that rough moments. And so it reminds me of what you just said too, is just think about how, like a, you know, think about from a warrior's perspective, like how a blade is developed time and a beautiful sword It's something that you can use for purpose in your life. Yeah. It's through fire, right? It is through beating and it's through that forging that actually requires it to occur so that it can become something beautiful and not the other way around. Like impressive things in this world don't typically start you know, from goodness, right? A lot of these things you kind of have to harness, which it makes me wonder too, as you're thinking about and reflecting on your career, those lessons learned had to have become, I mean, super incredibly useful for you in your in your professional career, right? It has to be even the way you look at business problems and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about how I can see how that helps you in your in your maybe daily life, but how have you used that in business, and how have you used that in ways in which you grew your organizations? Because I can think some people maybe look at it and thinking, "Hey, doctor, this is just this way out there, man. Like this is business. This is different. You know, whatever." How have you
1: defunct that, to, so to speak? You know, that's a great question because that's how I really define what an entrepreneur is. An entrepreneur recognizes that the way that we've been taught of how to build our future, if you work with this company for enough time, they'll take care of you for the rest of your life. Where did that go? Right, right. That was a false belief that a lot of people put up with hell. I mean, to put it lightly, they put yeah. up with hell just because of that payoff one day that they were going to get pension. And where did those pensions go? We mm-hmm. haven't seen that forever, right? How about the people that think that they gotta gotta do certain things in order to be able to go up the ladder in corporate America, you know, and you gotta grind it and you gotta suffer it and you gotta take it because that's what we all have to do. Well, if you choose to that to be your belief system, that's what you're going to have as a reality. So to me, there's one word that has actually become very popular lately that I think is what we need to think about. And the way that I began to think about things early on in my life even though I didn't acknowledge it or recognize it to the degree that I do today. And that is called disruption, right? Disruption is an opportunity to look at things from a different perspective. So I learned early on that there's two things that actually define you and your success, how you look at things and what you do differently to get a different outcome. So whenever you're confronted with a challenge, you have to ask yourself, is there a different way to look at this? So for me, professionally, I was studying pre-med. I got accepted at one of the best pre-med schools in the nation. And then I got accepted at the top university medical schools in the nation. And then I had an accident that led me to a doctor of chiropractic and introduced me to the world of wellness and prevention. In those days, what I got is why do I wanna be a surgeon? Why do I wanna be in a position like all these other medical doctors when I can be a disruptor and help people prevent illness rather than manage disease? Now, that's a concept that today is more popular, even though 80% of the people don't practice it, but it's more popular today. In those days, 35 years ago, it wasn't. There was no preventative medicine, functional medicine. There, was not, there wasn't even wellness at that time. Yeah, All of that came later in the 90s. This was 1980, 85, 87. Mm-hmm. So anyways, so I chose to go against the grind. I chose not to follow the 80% of the people out there that are wanting traditional medicine to be the only medicine that they practice. I chose to say, if I can help somebody prevent heart disease or uh, cancer or uh, diabetes or obesity or arthritis, which they're all preventable, you know, especially we're seeing it more and more every day. Yeah. So why is it that I'm not gonna spend the rest of my life there? So I became a doctor of chiropractic and then I learned about acupuncture. I became an acupuncturist and then energy medicine and then nutrition. I started studying all the sciences that can help somebody look at the disease process differently and begin to do different behaviors that will get, yield the outcome of either reversing or out curing the disease right uh so then i started realizing okay if i did that for healthcare which got me nominated as you know uh, one of the greatest highlights of my life is the wellness hall of fame uh you know which It's got some of the biggest names in wellness in the world. And Mm -hmm. I was very young at the time because of my contributions and many other accolades over the years. But then I started saying, okay, now I'm being invited to become president of a university. So healthcare and education are two of the most antiquated models that you can find in business. They just do not work as well as they could. So I started looking at education from a whole different perspective. I started putting our students as number one in every decision that we make. I started honoring our faculty instead of paying them little salaries, I paid them a lot of money because I wanted to have the best faculty in the world. And then my other president colleagues will call me and say, why are you paying so much much? We're losing some of our best faculty. And I said, that's why I'm doing it. Because I wanna attract the best people to work with us. You know. And then I empower the students to not only think about getting through school, but how to start building their practices now before they get out into the real world. Start building that concept. What can you do? So I started training them by some of the best people out there early on in school. And because of that, we broke records in education. I mean, we have perfect scores in accreditation, which is unheard of. We built together a team. We grew so fast. We went from one discipline. 1 degree to 21 degrees in 12 and 13 years now we're 36 degrees you know a few years later and we became one of the top healthcare uh, universities in the world um and all because we started looking at things from a different perspective and then we started doing things differently so that way we can actually achieve a different outcome and now I'm doing that with CEOs and businesses i have businesses that are multi-billion dollar CEOs that they want to mentor with me, not because I, I I created a multi-billion dollar industry. It's because they know that I'm a disruptor, that I'm going to look at things from different perspectives and I'm going to give them solutions to consider to be able to deal with the biggest challenges they have. And that has worked so beautiful. And I'm enjoying it because it may, I have four companies, but it makes me feel like I don't have to run big companies anymore, but I can help people that have 10,000, 20,000 employees, but I don't have to have them myself. And I can still enjoy that, that thrill and that excitement of making some big decisions that are impacting the lives of millions of people. And so I began that process. So I proven it to myself that it doesn't matter what industry, it doesn't matter how old or how young you are. It doesn't matter what state or what country you're in. It's a matter of developing the mindset of disruption and then putting into place the behaviors that have been proving to be able to yield the outcomes that we, you want to yield. And that's how we've been able to create this amazing uh, m- mentorship that I created over six years ago.
0: That's impressive. I, I definitely want to dive into that portion there because I think that's something where I think about. I think about business as a sport. It's fun, it's intense, it's challenging, but it's also something that requires expertise often outside your team to get better. But I wanna just put a pin in that for just a second because you mentioned Parker University, which I think is an impressive endeavor for your portion of your career. One that, you know, what I just heard and in speaking with you before, what I find incredible is that when you think about education and you think about typically who rises through the ranks of becoming somebody who runs a university, Uh, No offense, doctor, but it's not a guy like you, right? It's not somebody who didn't come from education, who doesn't have a PhD, who hasn't been tenure there, all those things. How did you, one, find yourself, in and and young at the time, right? So how did you find yourself in a situation there? And then also, how did you find success in that environment? And I'll add context for for the listeners, because one of the things that I often find as I'm talking to people who are aspiring to be entrepreneurs or folks who are operating businesses, they often will almost self-select out, well, I don't have that pedigree. Well, I don't have that understanding, or I don't know that stuff. And they just completely discount the way that they can even add value to a certain initiative. You arguably went into something that is one of the most protected as far as pedigree goes. So talk about how you were able to kind of pierce through that and then prove it.
1: Well, it's, it's interesting because my mentor, my first mentor was the founder of our university. His name was Dr. James W. Parker. And even as a student, he would tell me one day, I want you to be president. And I said, yeah, maybe when I'm 60 and I'll give myself back and I'll donate just the way he did. He only charged $1 a year for all the years that he was, yeah, because he had given millions of dollars of his own money to fund the university and it wasn't for the money for him. It was about building something. So then I thought that that's what the job paid. So I said to him, no, when I'm 60, I'll donate myself. You know, I never thought there was a salary involved. Yeah. So and and I would kid, him, kid around with him. It's like, man, I didn't go to school and, you know, go pay and spend almost $250,000 to become a doctor <laughs> to go ahead and work for nothing, you know? Yeah. So but this is what happened over the last over 10 years. I won every award that the university had given an alumni. I was most successful alumni of the year. I was the most referral to the school uh, alumni. I was the most outstanding success uh, in in the community and all of that. The person that gave the most money back to the school at the time. And so I had given every award that the university had given me. So then they asked me to be on their board. So I was on their board for three years before our mentor passed away. So then when the mentor passed away, they called me and said, would you consider becoming the next president? At that time, I was 31 years old. My business was thriving. I had doctors, uh, employees all running my enterprise. And I told them, no, I said, I can't do that right now. I got too many responsibilities, but I wish you good luck, you know? Uh, so they took a year and a half to interview people and they hired a search firm, all that the things that typically universities do. Right. So then A year and a half later, they called me and they said that they wanted me to interview with the head of the nomination committee to see what I would do if I was in that position so they can better select the person that they had interviewed. So they had 60 applicants. So I said, oh, I can do that. So I spent two hours and they hit me with every challenge that we were having. We're having a lot of economic challenges. Uh, Reputation was low. People were leaving the school. Faculty was not happy. I mean, you name it, we had it yeah. as a problem. And uh, after that meeting, I remember saying to myself, "Man, I have the answers. How are they going to find somebody like that?" But I said to myself, "This will help them." Yeah. That was on a Friday. Monday morning, the chairman of the board calls me and says, "Thank you for meeting with uh, uh with our chair of the committee." Uh, he said it was extremely helpful, and I said, "Great." Uh, does he have somebody in mind that can do the job? He said, well, after interviewing you, he said, there's only one person that can do the job. And I said, great, who is it? And he said, it's you. And then I said, I'm not interested, Rob. I told you uh, I'm not wanting to do that. And he said, well, he just told me not to get off the phone, let you off the phone without you agreeing. Tell me what is it going to take? And this is what I said. I said, if it's unanimous by the board, I will do it. I knew that will never happen. Three board members had applied for the position. The other 60 or whatever others had leveraged those board members to vote for them. I knew that that was my house. I knew the board didn't like each other either. They were broken. Yeah. Two days later, Wednesday, Fab, we called an emergency meeting. All the board members are on the phone. We want you to know we just voted in as a new president. Can you be there Monday, Monday? No contract, no discussion of salary or terms. It's just, can you be there Monday morning? Wow. So my assistant, my office manager looked at me and said, did I heard you? You're going to Parker. Who's going to run this? And I said, oh, don't worry, Georgia. I'm just going to do that for a couple of months. I'm going to help them. And, 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 and this is going to run great. Six months later, six months later, my accountant calls me when was the last time you went to your office? And I said, oh my gosh, in six months. Not once did I go to my office. The school was in such dire need of leadership that it consumed me every day, 24-7, for six months. So then he said, well, you got two options. Your income has dropped 50%. You can either sell it as it is or you can go back to it and tell Parker that you can no longer help Mm them. So I went home, I prayed about it. I talked about it with my family. And the next day I went to the alumni office and I said, hey, can we send a letter to the recent graduates for the last year that I'm putting my practice for sale? The school could not afford me, right? So they paid me whatever they could afford. And I said, don't worry. I just, we're gonna build this back up again, you know? Yeah. And they did. They honor that and they pay me as we build it. And uh and I made probably one of the toughest decisions in my life. But this was what I learned and while allow me to make that decision do I go from comfortable right working 27 hours a day to uncomfortable 60 to 80 hours a week. I mean 27 hours a week to 60 to 80 hours a week, a lot of responsibility, a lot of challenges. And this is what came to me. If I stay where I am, I'm complacent. I've already reached success. I'm making more money that I can spend. I'm saving money, you know? That's not what life is about. When you reach comfort, it's your time to get uncomfortable again. So I say yes because of the potential of what I was gonna learn if I put myself through that process. And that's what happened. I was pushed to no end, to managing budgets that I never managed before to managing hundreds of employees when I only had tens of employees, to managing students that were going into debt so we could prepare them to succeed as doctors. You know, that's a lot of responsibility in your hands. Yeah, yeah. You know? But because I took it so seriously, I was able to put a team together to instill that love and passion for those students like never before and make good choices that allow us to have the success that we did. And that's how I became the president. And then my second day on the job, the newscast comes in and says, oh, we wanna interview Dr. Mancini. And my assistant said, why? He said, well, we just found out he just became the youngest president of a college or university in the United States at 33 years old. The average age of a president of a college or university is in the late fifties, because you have to spend years as a faculty member before they even consider you. I wasn't that. I didn't fit the mold. And my message for the entrepreneurs is don't let the mold that they telling you you must have dictate your future. You break the mold and you show them how you have more that their mold can provide. Because I I was an anomaly. I did not fit the. And you should have seen the first time I went to my college and university president's meeting, right? It was called SACS. It was in Atlanta. I never forget. Oh, it's like the I meeting was probably all the presidents and stuff. Yeah. OK. Hundreds of them. I was the that we had our we meet as presidents and then we have our staff. There are two meetings throughout the weekend. Yeah. In our meeting. I stood out like a sore thumb. Number one, I had a full set of hair. Number two, <laughs> my hair wasn't white. It was actually black. You know, <laughs> I stood out so much that people were like, who is this kid? Did you come to the wrong conference or what? No, they thought I was in the wrong place. Yeah, that's what I thought. They probably they thought wondering. I was a staff member, right? A faculty member. And I'll never forget, I met the, the, the chair and the president of our organization for presidents. And she said to me, you know what? I don't know much about you, but the fact that you're here means so much to me. I want you to sit on my table. She embraced me even though I did not fit them all of her people. yeah, She saw the potential, and to this day, we're dear friends. She saw the potential that the board, which is who selects the presidents of these schools, saw something in me that did not fit the typical, and she came to my investment. She rarely would go to an investment of a president because imagine when you have hundreds of presidents, everybody wants you to be in their investment. She came to mine. Right, which was only a couple of weeks after we met because she believed in me. And that's something that makes me appreciate every day that just because you may not believe in yourself enough, let the belief of others somehow get inside of you and get you out of that uncomfortable place to say, there's no coincidence why I'm here. If the board saw something in me that I may not be seeing in myself, I needed to step up and show them that they did not make a poor decision. And that was a lot of responsibility on me. I wanted, I had to go above and beyond anybody else that would have come into that role because I had to prove, I had to earn everything I got. I wasn't given a historical perspective of being successful in multiple per, uh, universities. No, I came in with no university academia experience. But I had a lot of common sense, and this is my answer to the to the people that question it. I'm a product of this university. I know what's good, and I also know what could be improved. What better experience would you want to have in your leader? That's the way I sold it to my faculty and to my administrators. Oh, I'm
0: sure that, that I mean, that, I mean, you can't beat that pitch, right? Like it's <laughs> it, you're, it's in you, right? How do you what? Two follow-up things that are just burning yeah. through my brain on the on the Parker staff. So like you have what was the first thing fab that you decided you were like, all right, there's a lot of work to be done here. Did you know what was the first thing you had to attack? Like, what was the one thing you were like, I got to get a foothold somewhere.
1: So we were actually losing, uh, an average of $2 million operational budgets a year in yeah. the previous year and a half, two years. And when I sat down with my CFO, which was one of the first meetings that I had my VP of finance, um, he was very concerned. He says, I'm not sure how we can turn this around. So I started looking at the numbers and I realized one simple thing, that we were 1200 students with an employment, uh, we had about uh, 500 and something employees. Now we're down to 500 students and we actually have not changed that number of employees. Yeah. So I went back to my team and I said, we need to let go of about 146 people. About They shocked, they were shocked. And I said, we can continue to hope that one day we're gonna get 1200 students again. And there's a lot of ways, but let's do it properly. And this is what I told my human resource person. I wanna be in every meeting. I wanna be the one telling them. And this is what I decided to do. When you let go of an employee, you always want to keep their dignity no matter what. That's right. This is a big mistake that people make. They let their ego dictate and their power dictate the decision rather than the compassion of the dignity of that individual. So, my speech was similar to this. JC, I just want you to know, man, we couldn't be more grateful to you for the years of experience and support you've given this university. As you know, after our founder passed away, We've been going through a lot of difficult times we love more than half of our student body and unfortunately we're going to have to make some very difficult decisions we've decided to eliminate your position not because there's anything wrong with you in fact we're so grateful to you and we hope that when we turn things around you will consider coming back to us and re and 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 re-interviewing again for a position with us but we are we feel forced that we just have to eliminate that position because It does not fit the needs that we currently have with the numbers of our student body. I know that this is difficult to understand and believe me, uh, we prepare a severance package for you and we'll do whatever we can do to try to help you get another employee. But I just want you to know that uh, this is something that we must do for the betterment of the university. Otherwise, we're not gonna be in business very much longer. Yes, I have people that threw their coffee at me and people that yelled at me and people that pulled their chair and puffed their chest. Yeah. But that was a minority, maybe five of those. The majority said this to me. You know what? I knew that there were some changes coming. I thought that maybe this could happen. I thought it was going to happen earlier on. This is what I got, you know, but nobody changed my my role. Uh, I just want to say thank you for you being the one to tell me because it honored me and it makes me feel like you do appreciate the work that I've done. And I'd be more than happy to reapply when you change, uh, you know, and that's what the majority said. So when we were able to turn everything around very quickly, by the way, uh, we had probably about 40% of them <clears throat> reapply to come back. The 60% found other positions and etc. The ones that were angry at me, I'm sure that were going to be angry at me for the rest of their life but I had to realize that the decision had, not, it wasn't about what I thought or didn't think. I had to do what was best for the entity that I was serving as their leader. And this is what a lot of CEOs and entrepreneurs struggle. They allow their empathy and compassion to make decisions to help those that they, they love rather than to put their first love, the entity that supports everybody involved, including the customers that we're trying to support. If my school went out of business, my diploma wouldn't have no value today because there will be no homecomings. There will be nobody for me to refer to, right? There will be nothing to connect me with my past. That's I didn't right. wanna let that go. That was one of my main decisions to help them is to get them out of the mess that they, they were in because I knew that we were gonna be going bankrupt within at least two years. There will be no more. We were already in debt, millions of dollars, losing money every year, uh, chaos everywhere. Uh, and and we've turned that all around. But that was the first decision that I made is to let go of those people. And it was the most difficult one, but it taught me a lesson that I I have to make decisions that are right for the entity that I'm serving. And the good news is that we turned that $2 million loss into a $700,000 gain the first year. That's, impressive. That's how deep that was. Yeah. And then we kept building. Once we started adding more students, we kept building the budget, where we were actually putting money away every year to for our reserves, and uh, and that was very powerful. I mean, that's yeah, it's impressive. You're going from negative. You're going from a deep
0: hole. Not just oh, let's get to some profitability. It's like no, no, let's get to survival. We're not even surviving right now. And then beyond that, I think that's a it's a really impressive and important lesson for leaders. I think a lot of them who who listen in into this show often, I mean, it's a human thing to struggle with, the human side of it. The one thing that I often tell a lot of entrepreneurs and leaders out there and operators is, this is the job that you sign up for, right? It's a privilege to be a leader, but it's a hard one because it is one where you have to keep the ship in mind. And it's not because you're capitalist only, and there's this whole idea because you want to make sure you continue to make money. Sure, that's a byproduct of what ends up happening, but more than anything else, if you look at it just very logically, right? The the one person any, isn't any less important, but when you have to weigh out, this is why you're in the seat, when you have to weigh out that decision, not feeding the mouths and families of 500 people when you can kind of figure out how to deal with 50 people with dignity is the call you have to make. And if you don't like that, completely understand. It's where I tell a lot of these leaders, then maybe you shouldn't be in the seat because it is a tough job and one that it's not always very thankful. But I do think that just kind of the way you approach it the dignity piece is so huge. And I think you're right. So many folks get that wrong. Uh, and it's one of those things that you can be very simple just to leave people with just a little bit of pep in their step as they're going on to go find the next thing they need in their life. Um, impressive there, Dr. I mean, it's a cool story because not only of where you have to come from to go help that, but then how you kind of have to continue to now carry the baton for the rest of the university to go. It leads me with like, and I know we have you know just a few minutes here left. So I, there's there's two things that I wanna make sure we cover because I think you'll have incredible insight on it. One of them being that the you said something earlier in your statement that's still burning in my brain right now, which is um, if you don't have the belief in yourself, then use the belief other people have for you. Because there's so many, and I think it's powerful because there's so many people that we all are surrounded with folks. I think the conversation usually goes like this well, Fab, man, like you're just so good at this, you should do this. And you people go immediately and say, nah, that's not me. I'm, I'm not in, you know, they kind of immediately discount themselves. Is there something, I actually love using like, hey, tie your energy harness to somebody else if you don't have that energy and use their stuff. Is that something you teach and talk about at all when you think about how you help entrepreneurs kind of, or anybody really kind of
1: cross the chasm into being self-sustaining in the way they perform? Well, what I realized is that in my journey, in my evolution, I've always had mentors, right? And the reason that I decided to be a mentee, a mentor for others is And initially I thought it was just gonna be providers. And then it started being like CEOs. And then now I have celebrities and influencers, et cetera. What came to me is that a mentor helps you accelerate your growth because of their skills and experience and innovation, but they also keep you accountable. See, when you're a, 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 an entrepreneur, a CEO, who keeps you accountable, right? If you have a board, maybe they can keep you accountable, but most business owners, right? They're only accountable to themselves. If they have a partner at home that keeps them accountable, honey, we didn't make enough money, you better get to work. You better see how you're gonna get some people you know, out there. So that's accountability. So that's number one. The second one is to become your own mentor. For you to be accountable to yourself, not to others only, but to yourself, to be disciplined, to make the decisions that will allow you to move your business to the next level. You know, uh, I have a, a challenge that I recently recorded and I'll send it to you if you want to share it with your people. I just happened to think about it. Uh, and it's a three day challenge in which we go and share some of the most innovative concepts of how you can create an eight-figure business no matter where you are if it's six figures if it's seven figures you know and what I go through is the mindset and the behaviors from six figures to seven figures to eight figures so people understand and then nine figures and ten figures and I want people to recognize that most people will never think that they could create an eight figure business but it's a mindset I have to deal with that first and then I give them examples of how this person turns six to seven, seven to eight. So that way they can see themselves in that process. So I think that being able to be accountable to yourself and recognize that no one is gonna love your business and do better for your business than you. It's always great to have those people out there that have opinions, but the most important opinion is yours. You're the ones right there committed, right? You're not like the chicken that offers the eggs for breakfast. You're the pig, right? You're the bacon. That's right. So you're committed in that process. Act like it. Stop giving that responsibility to other people that talk you out of your own dreams and your own ideas. You know how many people told me not to become a doctor of chiropractic? 95% of the people I told that I was going from traditional medicine to holistic medicine. 95% of the people. You know how many people told me to stop going to education? 99% 99% of the people, because I have no background on it. Yes. What are you thinking? What is the board thinking? But something inside of me said, that's my alma mater. That was my mentor's legacy. I'm going to go in there and help in any way that I can. I just didn't think it was going to be 13 years. You know, <laughs> I thought it was going to be maximum six months, but it took everything I had. But I'm so glad I did because even they've had two presidents after me because I'm president emeritus still, and they thanked me. They're like, you left us in a great shape. We got more money in the bank than most other universities uh, in our our space. Uh, We got a great team of people. Everybody's thinking high level, you know, keep breaking records from the past. And they're doing it because we left a culture that it wasn't about becoming a victim. It's about how do we create and how do we create uh, disruption and in new initiatives that haven't even thought of in education. And that's what we've done.
0: It's, uh, on point with being able to leave a legacy and positive ripples. So last thing I want to end with yeah. there, Fab, cause you've been awesome. Thank you. You talk about, I look at your life and how many times you've reinvented yourself. I've seen, you know, it would be easy for somebody to just say, you know what? I got into this chiropractic thing. I'm just going to do that for the... And For some folks that works. But oftentimes there are these moments and seasons in our life where, we're, where we really think about doing something very different, you know? And I think about your career, chiropractic, education, heavily involved in wellness and now media, and being able to just be now kind of a thought leader in that space. If you think about them very individually, they're, they're super, those would be entire lifetimes for other people, right? Doing those individual things. What do you, what advice or what thought would you give to somebody who is feeling, I think it's probably going to lean into your kind of your, your immigrant thought about like you use the past to help you. But I'm curious, what are the things you would say to somebody who's sitting there, maybe heavily invested financially, mentally, emotionally into something. And now they're saying, but I think I need to pursue this. I don't know why, but I need to. What are your thoughts around that? Like reinventing yourself and why that's a good thing.
1: Well, this is what I've learned and I've learned every time. And now I embrace it. I don't resist it. When a new idea, and Napoleon Hill talked about this in Think and Grow Rich, when a new idea enters your mind, your mind expands and it will never be the same. So I think of ideas, right? As a gift from God. It's, it's, it's a gift that comes my way as a potential. And that all, all an idea is, is a potential. If I choose to expand my business, is that a good thing? right? Maybe add a different service, maybe add a different extension, maybe acquire a different company, something to expand my business. Or if I choose to go into a different business, right? And maybe sell the one I have. Or if I go into a completely different industry because my industry doesn't fulfill me anymore. So this is what I've learned. Whenever that idea enters your mind, know that you're ready. That's the first thing I, re- I realized, realize. You're going to talk yourself out of it a hundred times, but you got to know that an idea never comes your way until you're ready. Now, my older brother, which was very successful, would taught me another lesson early on in my life. When you get an idea, especially as an entrepreneur, you got to assume that there's at least 9 people around you getting the same idea and it's whoever moves faster that wins. Yeah. How many times have you had an idea of something, a product? And all of a sudden, three months later, six months later, you see that it's already in the market. All the time. And you're like, oh my God, why didn't I do that? You know, we do that all the time, especially entrepreneurs. But we do not act on it. We don't act on it. And to me, these ideas are some of the most valuable, precious things that you're given. And most of us take it for granted. Or if we mention it to somebody else, they talk us out of it and we allow that. So to me, understand an idea comes to you only when you're ready. That's number one. Number two is to recognize that going into a new environment doesn't mean that you're going to fail potentially because then fear sets in. Whenever you're thinking something new, fear sets in and say, why am I going to give up? The comfort that I have here for something totally different. All I'm asking you to do from somebody that has done it multiple times, embrace it. The journey on the new thing is going to be 10 times bigger than the previous journey because you wouldn't even be thinking about moving in that direction unless there was a greater contribution that you can bring to others. That's what I've learned. A new idea is greater contribute equals greater contributions. And then thirdly, is to recognize and assume that the majority of the people around you are gonna try to talk you out of it. Just assume it, don't take that personally. They don't mean uh, to hurt you, they just don't know any better. And what I've always said is they didn't get the idea, you did. Some of them are gonna try to protect you from maybe failing. Some of them are gonna be envious of you because now you're gonna be bigger than them. Some of them are just uh, doubtful that you can make it happen. Yeah but it doesn't matter what other people think what matters is what you think every day if you think you're capable if you think you can align yourself with the right forces if you think you can structure somewhere where you can have a good runway to try to build this forward that's really all that matters so that's what I've learned to do in the in the learning of what a transition really means uh, and not to get, take for granted those beautiful gifts that come our way, we call ideas, creative ideas, uh, that could actually be our destiny waiting for us.
0: Could not have said and thought about it any better. Dr. Fair. what do you got? Thank you for your time. What are the, you know, with the minute or so we have left, what are what are you excited about? How can people follow you? What is new out there in your life and can people can stay in tune? Because I'm sure after listening to this, they'll probably want to get some more of it.
1: Well, there's two primary things that people seek my, my guidance and my, my my leadership. One is if you wanna become the healthiest that you can be, just go to my website, drfabmancini.com, drfabmancini.com, and you're able right there to be able to not only get resources that I'm gonna make available to you, but also uh, we have a line of products that I created that are actually solving thousands of people issues very quickly, and all natural and holistic. That's number one. Number two, if you find yourself as an entrepreneur and you're looking for mentorship, I created various mentorship programs. Some are virtual that are very insignificant and some that are more time with me if you want to go deeper. And uh, and you just go to my website, drfabmancini.com and click mentorship. And then you get to identify what other people are doing for me to try to help them and see what fits for you. The good news is that I don't hold you to a long-term contract I do month to month because what I've learned, my goal is to give you far more value than you give me. And what I've learned is that we're very effective. Some of the times people have come to me and said, oh, I thought I would have to sign up for six months to a year. And after the second month we've solved the problem. Mm. You know, solutions can be very quickly when you know what you're doing. Solutions can be very lengthy when you keep spinning the wheel and don't get to where you want to be. So that's really the two areas that I think I'd be more than happy to be able to discuss it with you and see if there's anything that I could do to better serve you uh, in maybe areas that I've already dealt with, or maybe connect you with the people that have been where you want to go that can maybe help you get there a little bit faster too.
0: That's killer. Well, I know we'll have that stuff in the show notes and everything
1: else. Dr. Fab, thank you so
0: much for being on the show today. It's been incredible, and your insight has been world-class. Thank you all for listening. This is the Professionally Offensive Podcast. You can catch us on all platforms. JC out.